0: So much happening today. So exciting. My name is Jerry. I'm the campus pastor here at Genesis Carmel, and it is a thrill to be celebrating Easter with you today. And as you can tell, there's a lot of things we're celebrating today. We love celebrating generosity as a church family, and I just want to personally thank those of you that donated those spring break totes. You're helping to feed kids in the Indianapolis school system that might not have had food otherwise over spring break. So thank you. Can we take a moment to celebrate that? Thank you. Thank you. We're also celebrating baptisms today, which is awesome at both of our campuses. And so let's take a moment to celebrate the decision that those people are making to surrender to Jesus. That's amazing. I wanna take a moment and say hello to our friends that are tuning in with us online today. Thanks for streaming with us. We're glad to have you here and we hope to see you in person sometime soon. Bud and Linda, we miss you. The Snyder family, I hope you're doing well in Florida. Again, we look forward to seeing you sometime real soon. Now there's lots of things that we're celebrating today, but the most important thing for those of us that are followers of Jesus is we know today is Easter. But even as I say that, when you hear the word Easter, your mind, if you're like my daughter, you're probably thinking that just means lots of candy, right, and that's okay. Or maybe for some of you you're thinking that means hard boiled eggs that will rot in our refrigerator until we remember to throw them away because that's kind of what happens with those, right? Or for some of us, it's like pastel colors and family photos and all of those things. And all of those things are good things to celebrate on Easter. But again, for those of us that follow Jesus, we know that today is different because we believe today we're celebrating an event, a historical event that changed the rest of humanity. And just for those of you basketball fans, I'm not talking about the fact that the Final Four is in Indiana and all the games are played here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but me, I grew up in the church, in and around this story. And I bet some of you are like me. Many of you are probably like me. You're familiar with the story. We could hand you the mic, and you could walk us through the details and probably get it 80 to 90% correct, right? It's a familiar story. But here's my question. When was the last time you allowed the emotion and the reality and the implications of the Easter story to take root in your heart? When was the last time it changed the way you dealt with adversity on a day-to-day basis? And so if you're like me, I'm hoping that today you get to see and hear the story from a fresh new perspective. But my guess is there's some of you that are streaming with us today, or you're here with us in the room, And if you were being really honest, you didn't grow up around church, you're not familiar with the story, you're really just here because somebody invited you to be here and they have hounded you about coming to Easter. And you know, your grandma said, you should go to church on Easter. And so you finally told your friend, look, I'll go, I'll go. I know they wore you out. We're so glad that you're here. Make sure they pay for your lunch today. Okay, I just think that seems fair. They owe that to you. But regardless of why you're here, regardless of why you're here, I want you to know, We're thankful to have you with us as we celebrate something very special on Easter. Now, just in case you're not familiar with the Easter story, here's a quick flyover. Here at Genesis, we believe that what the New Testament teaches is true. On a Friday, Jesus died on a cross to pay for the sins of the world. His friends took his body down, they laid it in a tomb, they rolled a stone in front of it. He stayed dead for a few days, and then on Sunday, he rose to new life. That's the quick flyover version of the Easter story. And again, some, for some of us, those details are really familiar, but for some of us, we would say, that's just strange, and it's really weird, and it's very hard to believe. Why? Well, because dead people tend to stay dead, don't they? Dead people tend to stay dead, especially after you've been dead for a few days. And not only that, we don't even like to talk about death or dying, do we? How many of you get anxious at just the thought of your phone dying, right? We freak out over that. So the thought of our phone makes us anxious, much less the thought of our own bodies. So I want you to think of it like this. Just by show of hands, if you have a smartphone or a tablet, how many of you have a protective cover? Oh, come on, I know that you do, and if you don't, you should, okay? You're just living dangerously if you don't. Why do we have that? We know that those devices are valuable to us, but they're really vulnerable without a case. And that's why there's a multi-billion dollar industry devoted to cases for our electronic devices, because we know if we drop them, it's not gonna be cheap to replace or to repair them. And some of us are so attached to our devices, you're thinking, I hope he doesn't drop his iPad, it makes me so nervous, or, oh, it just, it brings up anxiety to even think about life without our phone, doesn't it? But you know why? Because none of us like to deal with the thought or the reality of loss and pain. And I can honestly tell you, I have never met a human being that has not tried to avoid loss and pain at all costs. Why? Well, because it causes anxiety. It's not fun for us to deal with. And so just for a moment, think of the anxiety you feel over breaking a device, replacing a device. Let's take that by say, I don't know, $5 And we're probably getting close to the anxiety that we feel when it, comes to confronted, when it comes to being confronted with our own death or the death of someone we love. And whether we want to re- recognize or not, death is just part of life. We've all experienced death. And if you're a ki- when you're a kid, you know, maybe it was just the loss of a pet and that's hard enough. But as you get older, you start to realize it's not just pets that die. It's family members. It's close friends. It's neighbors and it's coworkers. My wife and I have been married for almost 20 years and we have tasted death more than we care to admit. 15 years ago, we were praying, God, would you help us to have our first child? And we thought we were getting ready to, and then we experienced the pain and the grief and the loss of a miscarriage. And if you've ever experienced something like that, there is just a hole that is left inside of you that you you cannot fill. It is just, it's awful. It's terrible. And I bet some of you can experience, I've experienced that. Over the last five years, my wife Casey and I, we have both lost our mothers at the age of 64, which in my personal opinion is way too early to lose your mom. It's painful. The worst part is that our kids experienced it. And it was so sad. I'm grieving. They're grieving. And and it just breaks our heart to know that our kids don't have grandmothers over the age of 64. And again, I bet we could pass the mic around the room and we could all tell a story like that. And if there's anything that we've lived in this COVID-stricken world that we live in, over the last 12 months, we've learned this, haven't we? Death is a harsh reality for everyone. Death is a harsh reality for all of us. It's mysterious, it's scary, and it seems so final. And you know, unfortunately, we can't just go and buy a protective Iron Man suit to live inside of, which would be nice, he's my favorite Avenger, and I would love to do things in an Iron Man suit, but even if we could, even if there was a suit like that to protect us, I hate to tell you, time is going to catch up with us, and eventually death is gonna come and knock on our door, and we're gonna have to deal with it. Now, I know what you're thinking. This guy's the worst. I wish someone else was preaching today because this is really depressing. I am not trying to make light of death. I am just saying we need to come to grips with the reality that death, death is real and it is heavy and it is hard for us to wrap our minds around. But even though it's scary and even though it's mysterious and even though it seems so final, I want you to know we believe here at Genesis there is hope of life beyond this life and that is what we celebrate. On Easter Sunday. And here's what I find really interesting. If you look at the very first Easter story and you pay close attention to the people that knew Jesus best, you know what? They struggled to find hope in that first Easter. And you know why? Because none of the details made sense to them either. But today I want to invite you. I want to invite you to look at this Easter story, whether it is Familiar or it's brand new, I want you to see it and experience it from the very unique perspective of the people that knew Jesus best, the people that walked with him closest. Because here's the thing, they experienced the pain of his death and the power of his resurrection. So I'm gonna take a moment to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance as we open God's word together and then we'll move on. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, We need your help right now. We're all here for a reason. The fact that we've gathered together, the fact that some of us haven't been in a building like this in a long time, it is just a testimony to something that happened on Easter all those years ago that makes it different. There's something about coming together to celebrate this day that's different. For those of us that follow Jesus, we're convinced that it's because you rose from the dead, Jesus. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring these words to life for us. I pray that you would bring these old truths and make them new for us again. I pray for those of us that are not familiar with this story, for those of us with skepticism and doubt, that you would meet us where we are and that you would show us from your word and by the power of your spirit proof that the resurrection is true and real. Jesus, we believe not only that you rose from the dead, we believe your words when you said, I am coming again, I'm going to return to the earth in bodily form and I will raise everyone to new life with God or new life apart from God. Holy Spirit, we trust you to do your work through your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you read and study the New Testament, here's some things that we know to be true about Jesus. Jesus was 33 to 34 years old when he was arrested, crucified, and died. That's really young. I'm 43, and every year I get past, I think, man, 33 is really young. I'd like to go back to 33 again, right? That's how old Jesus was. When he died. And scripture also teaches us that his closest followers had known him for three or four years. And here's the thing, they believed with all of their heart that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah that the, that the Old Testament had prophesied to come that would save humanity, that would rescue us from everything that is broken. And things seem to be falling into place. We talked about this last week On Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and people were waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, declaring, you're the one, you're the king, you're the one that we're waiting for. They celebrated him. That was on a Sunday, but on a Thursday, things changed. One of his closest friends betrayed him. And a few hours later, Roman soldiers came and arrested him. And then he was brutally beaten beyond recognition, scripture tells us. And then several hours later, he was nailed hands and feet to a cross and he was put on display publicly where he would die. And this is where I want to pick up the story today. This is where I want to pick up the story. Over this last few weeks as I've been preparing for this message, I did something for myself that I think you might enjoy. I meshed together Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the biographies of Jesus' life in the New Testament. I meshed them together to put like some timestamps on things. And I'm gonna read this story to you. And I just wanna invite you, if you need to, close your eyes. But I want you to imagine yourself as one of the men and one of the women that knew Jesus best, that were experiencing this idea of resurrection. And I just want you to see and to hear the emotion in the story. We're gonna pick it up in Mark 15. At noon on Friday, darkness fell across the whole land until three in the afternoon when Jesus called out, with a loud voice from the cross, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Then he uttered another loud cry and said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Shortly after he died on that Friday, his friends asked for permission to take his body down from the cross. And when they did, they wrapped it in burial cloths and they laid it in a tomb of a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And then they had a stone rolled in front of the entrance to the tomb to close it up. The next day was a Saturday, which is the Jewish day of Sabbath and rest. The Jewish religious leaders went to see Pilate, the local Roman governor, and they told him, Sir, when Jesus was alive, he tried to lie to people, to say that after he died, he would come back from the dead three days later. So we think it's a good idea to have the tomb physically sealed until the third day. That will prevent his disciples from coming to steal his body and telling everyone he was raised from the dead. So Pilate agreed He sealed the tomb, and he even sent guards to protect it so no one could take the body. On Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' dead body the next day. Very early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, and I love that Matthew includes this detail, as the new day was dawning, That small group of women went to the tomb and on the way, they were asking each other, who's gonna roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb for us? Meanwhile, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards at the tomb shook with fear when they saw him and they fell on the ground and lay there like dead men. Now there's a lot of details there, right? but I want you to pay really close attention to what happens next because this is when it starts to get real for Jesus' followers. In Luke 24, we learn this. When the women arrived at the tomb to anoint the body, the dead body of their friend, they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes, the women were terrified and they bowed down with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Now, these women were puzzled and they were terrified. Their friend's body was missing. That would be disturbing. And there were two angels there who apparently were wearing some blinged out bougie robes that were glowing and they, were, they didn't know what to do. With this. And then Mark tells us how the angels responded to the women. Listen to Mark 16:6. 6. It says, Don't be alarmed. This is an angel. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Come and see where they laid his body. Now, don't miss this. The angel is saying, Hey guys, he isn't here because he's not dead anymore. He's alive. Now, pretend you're one of those women. That doesn't compute for us as humans, does it? Why? Because people that have been dead for three days tend to stay dead forever. So you can imagine how confusing this information must have been for these ladies. But then look at Mark 16, 7 and 8. It says this, go and tell his disciples and Peter that Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. You're going to see him there just as he told you. And then trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Trembling. Puzzled, bewildered, afraid, and who could blame them? The story is just so much to imagine. But the angel said, hey, he's alive. You're not done. You have to go tell his disciples. His disciples were his handpicked guys that Jesus had taught and predicted that all of this was gonna happen. So Luke tells us how the conversation with the men went. When the women came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. Go to the next slide, please. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to be like nonsense. Put yourself in the room. The women show up. They are breathing heavy. (sighs) What's what's going on? We were at the tomb, and his body wasn't there, and there were angels, and they said he's alive. Now, you want to believe them, but again, historically speaking, dead people stay dead, and they're like, ladies, uh, it's early. I don't know if you haven't had your coffee yet. That doesn't happen. Nobody wanted to believe that this could be possible, even though Jesus had predicted it. And then look at Luke 24. Peter, now Peter, this, pause right here. Peter, this is the guy that Jesus said, hey, when I'm not around, when I go to heaven, you're in charge. So you would think this guy would know what to do. Peter got up, ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the, the burial clause with no body in it lying there by himself, and he went away wondering to himself, what has happened? Even Peter, Jesus' closest disciple, Jesus had told him this was going to happen, and he, he left confused. So just for the record, that first Easter, even though there was no body found in the tomb, nobody believed that Jesus was alive. No one. There were no followers of Jesus, On that first Easter, from what we can tell from Scripture, those false followers were puzzled, terrified, trembling, bewildered, afraid, and highly skeptical, to say the least. Because people that are dead for three days tend to stay dead. And maybe if you were honest, if you were willing right now, there's a little voice in your head that says, yes, exactly. This story makes you Jesus people look so weird Because people don't come back from the dead. And it's really annoying when you try to tell us that that happened. And you know what, I get it. By show of hands, how many of us have been to too many funerals? One funeral is too many. And I've got something that I I just need to get off my chest. I hate going to my mom's graveside. I hate it, hate it. I hate staring at that stone. I hate seeing my name on the back of it. It even bothers me to see her picture there. Because it is a reminder of the pain that she went through. And it's a reminder that I can't hold her anymore. I can't hear her voice. I have to listen to old voicemails. It's a reminder. I can't say, Mom, I'm sorry for all the stupid things I said and did. I don't don't like it. But as a follower of Jesus, here's what I know to be true. She's not there. Her body's there, but she's not there. And I have all the hope in the world that we're gonna be reunited again begin because Jesus himself predicted, I will die, I will come back from the dead and I will give you that kind of life. But here's what's interesting. Not only did Jesus predict this before he died, throughout the Old Testament, there are hundreds of prophecies that said the same thing would be true. Now, when we talk about the Bible, this is really important. The Bible is broken into two parts. The Old Testament is a collection of books that were written, think about this, several hundred years before Jesus walked the earth. But they all point to Jesus. And then the New Testament is a collection of books written after Jesus lived, specifically after he rose from the dead. And all of those stories tell us about what Jesus has done. But I want to take a moment to go back through the Old Testament and to, to see were there actually predictions of the resurrection? And I'm gonna go to the oldest book in the the Old Testament. The oldest book that we have in the Old Testament is the book of Job, believed to be written around 2200 BC, 3900 years ago, over 2000 years before Jesus walked the earth. And the book of Job is about a man named Job whose life was falling apart in the worst way imaginable. If you don't believe me, just read Job one and two, it is awful. And Job comes to this conclusion in Job 1410, When people die, their strength is gone. They breathe their last. And then where are they? He is so wore out with how hard life is. I think he's actually saying, God, just take me. Get me out of here. Because when people die, they die. And what happens then? But then I want you to listen to what Job says just a few chapters later in Job 19. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he will stand upon the earth at last and after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes and I am overwhelmed at the thought. 3,900 years ago, 2,200 years before Jesus lived, Job expressed a faith in a God who would send a redeemer or a Messiah that had the power to do that. And this theme of a coming redeemer and Messiah is found all throughout the Old Testament. In the first book of the Old Testament, God himself, Yahweh, is talking to Satan with Adam and Eve in his presence. And God says, one day, a man will be born of a woman. He will raise up, he will live, he will destroy you. He will die in the process, but he will be the savior of the world. And this theme is carried on throughout the Old Testament. And after centuries throughout the Old Testament, people wondered if men like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and even King David would be the promised Messiah that all humanity had been waiting for. But here's the kicker. All the men like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and yes, even the great and the mighty and the wonderful and the powerful King David all proved to be sinful men and when they died, they stayed dead. But through the centuries, more and more prophecies began to add up over what this Messiah would be like. And some of them, many of them are recorded for us in the book of Psalms. Now, the book of Psalms is a book of poems and songs. And I want to point to Psalm 16 that says this. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your holy one, to rot in the grave. Now this phrase, holy one, many scholars believe this is a direct account of this coming redeemer and Messiah. You will not allow him to stay dead or to rot in the grave. Look at verse 11. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. So the psalmist says, the chosen one, the Messiah, the redeemer, he will come, he will die, but he will come back from the dead. That blows my mind. I hope it blows your mind too, but it gets better because there's a variety of prophets in the Old Testament that also wrote books, and they made similar predictions. One of them is a man named Isaiah who lived 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. In Isaiah 53, chapter 53, is a common passage that is read around Easter, and here's why. It explains what Jesus went through that first Easter to a T. In fact, Isaiah predicted that the, that the Messiah would be pierced or crucified several hundred years before the Romans had, had created it. But listen to what Isaiah says in 53, eight and nine. By oppression and judgment, he, the anointed one, the Messiah, was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? In other words, no one will stop him from being tortured. For he was cut off from the land of the living, He died for the transgressions of my people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. He's going to die, Isaiah says. This is how this is gonna happen. Though he had done no violence, nor nor was any deceit in his mouth. But then Isaiah says this in verse 11. He's gonna die but after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their inequities. Isaiah says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he wrote this down. The Redeemer, the Messiah, will come. He will be a suffering servant, and he will break the cycle of death. And dead people won't have to stay dead anymore. And then look at how Isaiah finishes in Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore, I will give him the anointed one, the Messiah, a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Pay attention. This is us. This is me and you. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors, anyone that has sinned against God. Isaiah predicted The Messiah wouldn't just die. He would die for the sins of the world and he wouldn't stay dead. He would come back from the dead. He paid for all of humanity's sin, past, present, and future. And on that first Easter Sunday, nearly 2,000 years ago, when Jesus walked out of his own grave, he proved he is the one that has conquered sin and death once and for all. And that, that is what we celebrate today. Not candy, not hard boiled eggs, nothing else but the resurrection of Jesus. But maybe you're like me and you're wondering, but man, what about those first followers? Why They had Jesus and they had the Old Testament. Why didn't they get it? I'll tell you why. Because up to that point in time, dead people stayed dead. But everything changed that first Easter. And those first followers of Jesus, think about this. 2,000 years ago, they wrote down their stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and Acts, and Romans, and 1st and 2nd Corinthians, all the way to the book of Revelation to say, we've been there, we've seen it. And for those of us that follow Jesus, we celebrate the resurrection, and we look forward to his return again. Now, I want you to listen to what the apostle Peter had to say. Peter, remember the guy that went to investigate the tomb? Jesus' right-hand man that looked in and said, oh, there's nobody here. I don't know, somebody's clearly, I don't know what happened. Somebody stole his body. After seeing Jesus resurrected, this is what Peter has to say to those of us that follow Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy the salvation of your souls. Peter says that even though you've never seen him with your eyes, even though you've never heard his voice audibly, you can trust that he, by faith, is the savior, is the king that has died to pay for your sins. And that's worth celebrating this Easter Sunday. But again, my guess is that some of us are still struggling to grasp that reality. And that's fair because after all, dead people stay dead. So what would make Jesus any different? If you are skeptical of these claims, I just want you to know you're not alone. The writers of the New Testament tell us that after Jesus's resurrection, I want you to think about this. Jesus revealed himself to 500 of his followers on a variety of occasions over the span of 40 days, over a month and a half, Jesus appeared to them. They saw him, they ate with him, they talked with him, they walked with him. He said e- I'm going to eat with you so you know I'm not a ghost. But I want you to listen to what Matthew writes, one of Jesus's followers. After the 40-day period, Jesus had summoned the 11 to his disciples to meet him on a mountain. Jesus said, "Go over there, I'll meet you there." When they saw him, they worshiped, but some of them doubted. He was standing right there, and they worshiped and they're like, "I don't know. I think maybe." Does that make you that makes me feel real normal? We can worship him, and we can at the same time struggle with doubt. Guys, we have struggles of doubts all the time. We have struggles with our faith every single day. They did too, and he was right there. So if you're struggling with skepticism and doubt, look, you're in really good company. And you know what? I want you to know all of your questions and all of your doubts and all of your skepticism is welcome here, Genesis. All of it. Bring it all. We're not gonna to claim to give you all the answers. I would love to meet with you for coffee and talk through it. I'm not gonna convince you of anything. I just love to hear your story. But here's what I would want you to hear me say. This is what I believe to be true. I want you to know that the power of Jesus's resurrection is available to you today and to those of us that are willing to surrender to him in spite of your doubts. And that power comes by putting your faith in what Jesus has done for you. This is what we believe about Genesis, Jesus here at Genesis. We believe that Jesus is the one and only son of the true and living God, and we believe that everything has been created by him, through him, and for him. That's what scripture teaches. We also believe that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, promised in the Old Testament, that was sent to save us from the sins of all humanity. And we believe that Jesus willingly, as God left the comforts of heaven, was born to peasant parents and in experience life just like you and I every hardship that you and I would know if you're over the age of 33 think of all our 33 think think of all the pain you've experienced he's experienced it and if you're past 33 I think we're on borrowed time he has experienced life and death and according to Jesus himself anyone anyone skepticism and doubt with if you are just willing to put your faith in his death his perfect death On your behalf, Jesus would say, you've been given the gift of eternal life. You are forgiven of your sins. You are restored to God as your heavenly father. The Holy Spirit of God will live inside of you. He will make what is old, take it and make it new. That's what we celebrate. That's the power of the resurrection. And that's good news. I want you to listen to what the apostle Paul said. Just so you know, Paul hated Christians, persecuted them and killed them. And then he had a face-to-face encounter with the resurrected Jesus. He came to faith in Jesus and devoted his whole life to letting people know who Jesus was. And Paul says this, therefore, if anyone, no matter what you've done, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone and the new is here. We worship Jesus because we believe that's the power he has for all of us. He has done that for me. He has done that for many of us, not just in this room, but all over the world that proclaim his name by faith. And that's what he wants to do for every single one of us. Through his resurrection, Jesus proved that he has the power to take all of your sin and all of my brokenness, all of our anxiety and all of our fear, our broken self-image and our desperate desire for approval of others, anything and everything that separates us from God, through his resurrection, Jesus says, I have the power to make that brand new if you've been looking for a new life, and let's be honest, who doesn't want a new life? Sign me up. Jesus promises to make us new over and over and over again. The only thing he requires is faith in his death for our sins. And faith to follow him and to live just like we saw the people that, like Sam's testimony was so powerful because she's saying, I'm giving it all to him. I've walked, watched her walk that journey, it's fascinating. That's what he's calling us to, by faith. And it can be a struggle, but by faith, that's God's gift for each one of us. So maybe the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart right now. Maybe you're thinking, I would, what do I start? I think it might start by just by talking to someone, but all you have to do is just in your head say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I have done so many things to separate myself from you. I surrender myself to you by faith. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe you've done what you've claimed to do, And by faith, you're forgiven. But I would encourage you to come and find me or find Kevin. Talk to the person that you came with today. Don't leave here today without experiencing and embracing the power of the resurrection for yourself. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for these ancient words that I believe we believe to be true. The story seems ludicrous. It does not make sense. But apart from you, Nothing is possible, but with you, God, everything is possible. You bring dead people to life again. Jesus, you yourself said, I will rise from the dead after three days. And you also said, I will return again. And you extend an offer to those of us, even if we die, you promise, I will raise you up at the last day. And those that have expressed faith in me, Jesus, you said, I will raise you to eternal life with my heavenly father. Would you help those of us that follow you, Jesus, to embrace that and to live that out brand new every day? Holy Spirit, would you do something inside of us to make us new so that the people around us realize they're new, they're different, and we would just say, it's Jesus. But for my friends here today that are just skeptical and doubtful, I pray that they would feel your comfort and your presence and they would surrender to you, they would know you. They would begin a conversation with you and they would bring all their doubts and skepticism. You say, I get that, walk with me. Would you wash over them with forgiveness? Would you help them to reach out to you and to celebrate this new life? Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We thank you. We celebrate you. It is in your name we pray. Amen.